invite you all to stand at this time, and we'll be looking in the book of Ruth, Ruth chapter 4, a message I call a good mom in bad times, a good mom in bad times, Ruth chapter 4, verse 14, and the women said unto Naomi, blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There's a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. May God bless the reading of his word today. It's my prayer. You may be seated. <clears throat> when you tell a story, you never tell the ending first. Any good storyteller will tell you that uh, that kind of gives the whole thing away when you tell them how it is. We don't like it when somebody goes to see a movie and tells us all about it and how it ends, or when they read a book and they tell us how it ends. We don't like that. Sometimes when you're preaching a story, you have to tell people the end from the beginning. And one of the reasons why, or the main reason why I'm doing that this morning, while we started out here at the end of the book of Ruth, and the story of Naomi, is because the story of Naomi's life was such a study in tragedy that if we just bogged down on that, I'm afraid we'd never be able to get our thinking out of how deeply she was immersed into the tragedies and difficulties of life. I've preached many times the story of Ruth, I've never preached the story of Naomi before today. Many of you know the story of Naomi and her daughter-in-law Ruth very well. Some of you may have never heard it before. So I'm going to tell it, most of it, this morning in hopes that you will read this book for yourself. It's only four chapters, very easily read. And you'll then understand more about what's happening and what a great story it really is and why it made its way into our Bible. Naomi's name means pleasant or delightful. She lived in a little village called Bethlehem. Bethlehem means the house of bread. She was married to a man named Elimelech. She had two sons, Malon and Chilion. When we look at the story of Naomi and what was going to happen, it is, of course, interwoven with the story of Ruth. Uh, Ruth's story, it's in the book of Ruth, for goodness sake. Ruth's story, though, would have never happened without Naomi. And in a way, Naomi's story that we're going to look at today also would have never happened had it not been for Ruth. But as we look at Naomi's story, we're going to see then how important it is, how powerful it is to be a good mom even in bad times. I chose my words carefully. I did not say to be a perfect mom. And while all of you strive for perfection, the fact is you'll never achieve it. And God did not ask of us that we all be perfect people. If He had, then all of us would be complete and abysmal failures. And I'm not going to try to tell you that Naomi was everything she should have been or could have been. But I am going to tell you, because it's here for us in the Scriptures, 
that she was a good woman and a good mom, doing the best many times that she could, I think, in the midst of a situation not of her choosing. I'm also glad to be able to tell you this story has a happy ending. <laughs> it does. So hang with me. But before we get to the happy ending, we've got to see the tragedy. And the tragedy is woven around the story of Naomi and her family's journey into Moab. The Bible tells it this way, it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites, that means they were of the tribe of Ephraim. Of Bethlehem Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. The book, therefore, is dated before the monarchy began with King Saul. Uh, it, was time, it was during the time of the judges. The last of the judges was King Samuel, or Samuel, who, who was both a prophet and a judge, and who would anoint two kings, uh, Saul and David, to be king over Israel, Samuel. As we talked this morning, introduced the message to being a good mom in bad times, uh, you can expect some bad things to begin to happen. And the first one that happens is there was a famine in Bethlehem. And it says something when there was a famine in the house of bread. This is a place that was known for its food supply. The house of bread was the name of the town. And yet there in the house of bread, there was a famine, a famine. Now, the word famine does not strike terror in your heart or mind uh, the way that it did in Bible times. Uh, part of that reason is because we've lived in abundance for so long, most of us could go without food for a month or two. <laughs> you don't think you can, but I promise you, you could. You could. Uh, Jesus went 40 days. A lot of other people did too. We've got uh, quite a bit stored up that we could use up. I often said that as long as my mother was alive, <laughs> if there was a famine hit in our land, I could go to mama's house because I could live out of her cabinets for the next uh, a year or two anyway. Any of you had mamas like that that just canned stuff and put up stuff all the time? Famine doesn't strike terror in our hearts the way it did in Bible times. Remember, these people lived off the land. They were what we call sustenance farmers. They, they grew what they ate. And uh, that was their primary task. They weren't farmers uh, trying to make money. They were just trying to live. They were completely dependent on what the Bible describes as the early and the latter rains. And those were the times, the seasons of rainfall in Israel. They planted in anticipation of the early rains. If the early rains didn't come, of course, the seed never got out of the ground. And it would wither. If the latter rains didn't come. Uh, then uh, they didn't have enough moisture then to, to make the fruit or to make a crop. And so they were dependent on those annual seasons of rainfall called the early and the latter rains. If they missed both of them, even the grass would wither and their animals would not have sufficient pasture to survive. So famine could very easily come upon the land in Bible times. All it took was no rainfall. We may think we're past all of that in modern society, but we're not. Famine is very real around the world. It's going on in numerous places right now. We are a blessed people. We are a blessed 
people. They had a famine that was bad. The second bad thing that's just recorded in the passage was that Elimelech considered his options and decided he would move to Moab. That might not seem like a big deal to us, but the problem was that the decision uh, was to go to the land of Moab uh, is that that whole place was under the curse of God. Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 3 puts it this way, An Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Even to their tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever. Because they met you not with bread and with water in the way when you came forth out of Egypt, and because they hired against thee Balaam the son of Beor of Pethor of Mesopotamia to curse thee. Nevertheless, the Lord thy God would not hearken unto Balaam, but the Lord thy God turned the curse into a blessing unto thee, because the Lord thy God loved thee. Thou shalt not seek their peace nor their prosperity all thy days forever. That's Moab. Now, for those of you who may not know, Ammon and Moab were the two sons of Lot. That was Abraham's nephew. And they were born to him by his two daughters which was a tragedy in and of itself. But the nations that grew from them uh, then became kind of a distant kinfolk to the people of Israel. You might expect them then to have some affinity for all the descendants of Abraham, but they did not. They hated them. They hated them so much that when they came to the land, they hired the false prophet Balaam to bring a curse against them, and God intervened to put a stop to a great story how that all played out. But when they hired a prophet, a false prophet, to curse Israel, God apparently took that personally because He banned them, the descendants of Moab and Ammon, from entering the congregation of Israel for ten generations. That means a grandchild of a Moabite with nine greats after it. Let me say it for you. Great, 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 great grandchild of a Moabite. Ten generations could not enter the congregation of Israel. They were under the curse, the judgment of God. Hmm. Suffice it to say, they should have never gone to Moab. It was a bad thing to have a famine. But then it was a bad thing, a really bad thing, to leave and to go to Moab. There's no indication in Scripture that Naomi ever affirmed that decision. It wasn't her decision to make. It was no more her decision to make than it was Sarah's decision to leave Ur. When Abraham came in and said, we're going to leave here, she might have asked, we don't know, the Bible never says it, where are we going? He says, I don't know, God's going to show us a place. It is to Sarah's credit that she went, but it was not her decision to make. It was Abraham's decision. In the same way, it was not Naomi's decision to make. This was Bible times, folks. It was Elimelech's decision to make. Secondarily, it would have been his sons to make it, and they made it. They decided that they would go to Moab, and Naomi went with them. She lived then in a time of terrible famine. She went to Moab with her family. She would live there a total of 10 years, 10 years away from Bethlehem, 10 years away from the tabernacle, 10 years away from the worship of God, 10 years away from the fellowship of God's people, Ten years. Though this was a family of believers, they became a family of backsliders. Ten years. We would say it today. Ten years they've been out of church. 
Ten years they'd been away from the fellowship of God's people. Ten years it had been since they'd been in the house of worship to worship and praise God and lift their voices together with God's people. We'd call them backsliders. They were out of church and living in the world. But now you notice this. They were still believers. I mean, this might be some of your story here this morning. You might have been out of church for a long, long time. It might have been years since you've really been active or faithful. And you know because of the influence of the world, you're constantly be pulled, being pulled away from God and away from the things of God and away from the truth of God. And you're living that constant temptation that comes from being out in the world. And so you know, yes, I've been out of church. Yes, I've done a lot of things I should not have done. I haven't been serving God. I haven't been going the way that I should have. I haven't been reading my Bible and praying the way that I should have. But I still know Jesus. Got good news for you. He still knows you too. He knows. I still you still love him? Oh yes, I do. He still loves you. He still loves you. They were still believers. So things that got bad. There was a famine in the land. A famine in the house of, bre of bread. They went from bad to very bad. They moved to Moab. Then it got very very bad. Verse 3, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left and her two sons. Perhaps Elimelech justified the decision to go down into Moab by saying, I'll only stay a little while. And then I'll never come, I'll come back. But Elimelech never came back. He never did. He didn't get that chance. It's a horrible way to die, away from God, away from God's people, out of fellowship. It's a sad thing. We might have expected then Naomi to say, let's go back home. But again, it wasn't her choice to make. Now it became her son's decision, and her sons obviously decided to stay in Moab. They married women from Moab, Ruth and Orpah, and for 10 years, for 10 years, things moved as long as well as they could for a family of backslidden believers living away from God. There was one more thing that they didn't have. In addition to no visits to the tabernacle, no worship of God in the great assembly, there was also no grandchildren. Ten years, and no children were born to either Ruth or her sister-in-law, Orpah. Then things went from very, very bad to unspeakably worse. Verse 4, they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years, and Malon and Chilion died. Both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. That means she survived. She was a survivor. When they left to go to Moab, they never dreamed that it would end like this. I've gone through this experience with families. Families that have buried multiple children, some at the same time. I've seen women grieving over the 
casket of her husband only a few months later to see her grieving over the casket of a son or a daughter. It's a terrible thing. Put yourself in Naomi's place where she lost her husband and then she lost her children, her sons. She once had a place in a family. She once had a husband, not one son, but two. A house to live in, land to farm. Now she's a widow. No husbands and no sons. Which in Bible times was the very picture of poverty. Because a woman with no husband and no sons also had no property rights. No way of taking care of herself. No way of protecting herself. No aid to dependent children back then. Uh -uh. No survivor's benefits back then. No. A widow who was a widow indeed who had no husband, no children. Was destitute. That was her journey into Moab. But then we'll notice her return to Israel. Verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited His people by giving them bread. Therefore she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. The language that the Lord has visited His people. In, in modern ways we'd say that there was a revival in the land of Judah. For God to visit them and begin to bless them and to give them bread again meant that Israel had returned to God. If you're familiar with the story of Judges, there was times after time after time when Israel turned away from God and, and they went after other gods and they abandoned God and they began to serve themselves and these pagan deities that were all around them. And again after again and again, God raised up some uh, judgment to come up, up on them. And then the judges would be raised up and, and they would deliver Israel. And that's exactly what had happened. Maybe it was in the time of Samuel. I don't know. The Bible doesn't give us any specific direction. But we know that when she said, God has visited His people, that she had heard there was a revival in the land of Israel. And Naomi knew that was exactly where she needed to be. She returned then to the tribe of Judah, to her people, to the village of Bethlehem. It is tremendously significant in this story that Naomi did not quit or give up. Listen, she could have settled down in, in her misery and despondency and grief and died in Moab just like her husband did and her two sons did. She could have given up, but she didn't. She kept going. And most importantly, she decided to go in the right direction, which was back to Israel, back to the place of the people of God, back to her family, back to where people knew her and loved her. I'm going to go back to the place where God is visiting His people. There's a revival down there, and I want to get in on it. Listen, there's never been a case when a child of God turned back to Him that He was rejected by God. God runs to meet His children when they return to Him. And if we have any of those like uh, Naomi today who have been far away from God and long time away from God, and you've been living in the world, and it's probably not working out too well for you because believers don't fare very well out there. 
Moab looks good, it sounds good, it feels good sometimes. But you take a long look at Naomi. Uh, she went out full and she came back empty. That's what the world does to you. Maybe you're thinking, man, I need to get back to God. I need to get back in church. You're thinking right. And God will meet you. I mean, that wonderful story when I told you God runs to meet His children that return to Him, I didn't make that up. Jesus Christ Himself told us that story in the story of the prodigal son. The father saw his son returning to Him, and He ran to meet Him. That's the God that you serve. That's the God you believed in as a child. That's the God you trusted for your eternal salvation. That's His Son, Jesus, that you called on the Savior. He's still your Father. Jesus still your Savior. Naomi had no idea what that decision to return to Judah would mean. But even as she made that decision, she had no real hope for her future except a life of absolute poverty. And she relates this to Ruth and, and Orpah as they are going on their way. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. And at that point, both Orpah and Ruth were saying, we're going to go with you. But Naomi continued to dissuade them for following her. And, and this was her reasoning. She said, you know, I'm old, but if by some chance I could find someone who would take me in, someone who would be a kinsman redeemer to me, someone who would marry me, and then maybe I could have children. But if I had two more children while I went back, think about how old y'all are going to be by the time my sons are grown. So she was reasoning this out. I don't have anything to offer you. I'm going to go and live with my uh, friends, but I'm going to live in absolute poverty. After a while, and sadly, Orpah would take Naomi's advice, and she kissed her one last time and went back to her people. But not Ruth. Ruth famously uttered, these words of tremendous significance. Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you for wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I'll be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts you and me. And that word that she, those words that she spoke, your God will be my God, confirmed it then by an oath. I'll never leave you. I'm going where you go. Let come what may, no matter what happens, I'll be with you. She had no idea what that decision was going to do. 
Now, I know I'm preaching on Naomi, but I can't really tell you Naomi's story without telling you what happened to Ruth, because in Ruth chapter 2 and verse 11, Boaz answered and said to her, the her in that passage is Ruth, it has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how you've left your father and your mother in the land of your birth, and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work, and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings... You have come for refuge. You see, though this was a family of backsliders, they were still believers. And as a believer, Naomi's decisions had incredible uh, consequences for Ruth. Ruth believed in Naomi's God. She claimed him as her own. She said, I'm going with you. And whatever befalls you is going to befall me. I'll live with you. I'll die by you. Nothing is going to separate us. Your God will be my God. And look, the word of her decision has already reached the ears of Boaz. Boaz was a kinsman to Elimelech. And what that meant was that Ruth would end up coming under the provision of the Old Testament law of the kinsman redeemer. Now that whole law, I'm going to tell you right now, was given as a type of the work of Jesus Christ on your heart, behalf and mine. You'd have to read through all of it and understand all the significance of the kinsman redeemer to understand it. But for now, let's just notice that the kinsman redeemer would have the responsibility of doing several things. Uh, when a man died and he left no children to take care uh, of his wife, that had happened, of course, to Ruth. Uh, her husband had died. They had no children. She was widow, no kids. A kinsman, someone in the family, would be required to undergo the role of a kinsman redeemer. It would be his responsibility to take her in as his wife and to raise up children. But the children that they had would be known as the children of her dead husband. That's the way it worked. It's odd to us, but that's the way it worked. Most importantly, as was almost always the case, whatever debts that her husband might have owed, whatever things might have accumulated in all those 10 years that they'd been gone and away from their family home, whatever, they all had to be paid back. So that this woman then was given support, she was given provision by the family of this kinsman redeemer who would protect her and provide for her. Ruth had no idea what it would mean for her until she met her Redeemer face to face. But there was something that had to happen. I'm sure it was a joy to Naomi to be able to get to introduce Ruth to the truth of the kinsman Redeemer. She may have been a backslider, living a life that went from bad to very bad and then to worse, but Naomi kept going. She decided to return to God's people and God's land and God's worship, and now her daughter-in-law has met her Redeemer. I'm going to tell you, folks, you might be going through some bad times today. You might be going through some difficult times. You might be uh, having trouble. You look fine today. I, I guarantee you, you look great. If anybody asks you, how are you? I'm fine, or at least Okay. But you may be going through some tough times. Keep going. Hold on to your faith. Because God was going to use those bad times in Naomi's life to give her the privilege of introducing her daughter-in-law, Ruth, to her Redeemer. And once she did that, the story moves along very quickly. Boaz knew all about Ruth before Ruth knew anything about Boaz. 
<laughs> I could preach a whole sermon on that one statement. Uh, he immediately began to provide for her, even though she didn't know it. You see, the Old Testament had a, a, a kind of a welfare plan, if you will. When you were harvesting a field of barley or wheat, for example, and they harvested by hand, there would be times, though, when somebody had missed a lick, something would happen. And, and some wheat or barley would fall from the ground. Maybe it just shook out as they cut it. And the workers were forbidden to reach down and pick up that grain once it hit the ground. That was left behind for the gleaners. The people in poverty, like Ruth and Naomi, could come behind then and pick up those handfuls that would fall to the ground. But Boaz instructed his reapers, look behind you. When you see Ruth coming in behind you, you drop a few handfuls on purpose for her. Oh, listen, your Redeemer does that for you, and He does it for me. You might think you just found that stuff all on your own. Listen, God knows what you need before you know what you need, and He has a marvelous way of leaving those handfuls on purpose for us to stumble across and find. Ruth gathered so much grain for her that Naomi questioned her. What have you been doing to get this much grain? Well, I don't know. I just follow along behind them. Well, whose field were you in? Well, I was in Boaz's field. Boaz? He's a kinsman. He's taking notice of you. Let me tell you what to do. Ruth chapter 3, verse 2. Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself. This is Naomi talking to Ruth. Wash yourself and anoint yourself. That means put on perfume. Put on the best garment and go down to the threshing floor. How many of you know you don't wear your best clothes to the threshing floor? Okay? Obviously, something is going on here. You wash yourself. You put your perfume on. Put on your best garment. Go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man, that's Boaz, until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, All that you say to me, I will do. You see, one of the primary provisions of the kinsman redeemer in the Old Testament was that if a woman wanted to be redeemed, she had to ask a man to be her redeemer. She had to ask. Naomi knew that. And so she taught Ruth very particularly about what she needed to do in order to ask Boaz to be her redeemer. Now, when the Bible talks about uncovering his feet, Let's understand that is a euphemism. It was used for a lot of things that they did not say in polite company. And I, all I can tell you is that when she told Ruth, you go in, you put your best dress on, you put your perfume on, and when you see where Boaz lies down, you go in and you uncover his feet. It didn't have anything to do with his feet. Um, she was presenting her to him, to him as his wife, asking him then to be her kinsman redeemer. So what do you think Boaz did? Listen, read it for yourself. Boaz said, no. 
He refused. Though she had bathed herself and put on her perfume and was wearing her finest clothes, and no doubt she looked as good as she could make herself look. And Boaz had already noticed her, and he was obviously attracted to her. But when she showed up and crawled in beside him, he said no. Why? Because there was a nearer kinsman. Somebody was closer kinfolk than he was. And he knew that before he could assume that place, that man would have to respond and have to respond in the negative. And of course, if you're familiar with the story of Ruth, that's exactly what happened. The nearer kinsman, when he heard about the fact that Ruth was there and and he thought about redeeming uh, uh, Elimelech's uh, family, daughter-in-law, and all the things that pertained to him, pertained to him, which would include necessarily uh, Naomi as well, taking care of her, providing for her, taking Ruth of his wife. That man refused. And then that Old Testament custom, he was required to give his shoe as a testament. We call him the barefoot redeemer. <laughs> Because as he was walking through the city, hobbling around on the rocks, everybody knew what had happened. He had been given the chance to redeem one of his kinsmen, and he had refused. Once he refused, of course, Boaz stepped in. He took her as his wife. And that's how the story ended. So we've gone a long way to get to this, our text. And since it's been so long, I want to read it to you again. And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name, the name of your kinsman, may be famous in Israel. And it is. He shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became nurse unto it. And the woman, her neighbors, gave it a name. And his name was Obed. See, when she made the decision to return to her God and to her people, Naomi was still in bitterness and grief. But what she found was the truth of the great kinsman redeemer. And that it would not apply so much to her as it would to Ruth. That it would be Ruth who would come under the power of that Old Testament provision and that Old Testament covenant promise of God. But because Ruth came under the power of that, Naomi ends up reaping the benefit of it as well. How much so? The Bible says God restored her life. How much? Well, the Bible says that, he took the child, that she took the child into her bosom and nursed it. God had restored Naomi's life. She was able to raise that child as her own son, and she did. She lived out the promise famously made by the prophet Joel long ago in Joel chapter 2 and verse 25, where God said, Notice, I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army. I've always thought that included army worms too, amen. Uh, my great army, which I sent among you. And you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never be ashamed. And you shall know that I'm in the midst of Israel and that I'm the Lord your God and none else and my people shall never be ashamed. It's one of God's great promises to us. When you return to me, 
I'll restore to you the years. I can restore the life that the things that I brought against you, that's what God was telling them. All those things that devoured their years and devoured their life and devoured their livelihood, they're all there. God says, they were my army. My army. I sent them. But the same God that sent that, why did he send them? To drive them back to him. I don't know what it is about our human nature that makes us resist returning to God. We know God loves us. We know God wants to help us. We know the world hates us. We know all they're going to do is take from us. We get out there and we find ourselves lost in everything. How many of God's people settle down in despondency and never go back? Naomi went back and God restored. God restored. Oh, what a great story is that. And by the way, you might be interested to know that Obed's name means worship. Worship. Elimelech left the house of bread and the house of God to go to Moab. He left because there was a famine in the land. God's people today often leave God and His house and His work for much less. Moab in this passage represents the call of the world to God's people. Listen, what a lesson is there for us in this passage. Moab has always called to God's people. The promise has always been the same. Come here, I'll take care of you. You'll enjoy it. We'll have fun. They can never make good on that promise. And today the calls for God's people to abandon God, to abandon His house, to, to leave the church, if you will, never been stronger. I thank God that every one of you are here in this place today because the fact is every one of you could be a thousand different places doing a thousand different things. And the chances are pretty good that somebody offered you one of those places before you came here this morning, unless they know you real well. So many things pull God's people away from God's house and God's service these days. Remember the lesson of Elimelech. Just for a little while. Never works that way. Secondly, then we apply it this way. Never underestimate the power of a faith decision to return to God. Naomi lived in hard times. She experienced unspeakable tragedy, but she kept going. Her tragedy called her to return to God. And when she did, God restored her life. It's amazing. Ruth, whose story is intertwined with Naomi, can tell you that when a person flees to God for refuge, and what a great passage that was when Boaz said, I know who you are. You're the Moabite woman. You're the one who left your people and left your family and left your town, and, and you came here to people you didn't know. You're the woman, Boaz said, who has fled to God to take refuge under his wings. God never shoes away people who come to Him for refuge. You need God in your life? Don't be afraid of Him. <laughs> He's not going to shoo you away. He welcomes you with open arms. 
Only one thing overcomes the curse of God, and that is faith in our Redeemer. But aren't you glad this morning that the redemption that you and I have is greater than the curse? When people return to God and to His service, you can raise up children then that are worshipers. Wouldn't it be great if all your neighbors nicknamed your kids worshipers? Let's call him Obed. Worship. Let's stand together, please.